Hey, y'all. You know we're a nonprofit, right? That means we rely on donations from listeners to keep this podcast going. So if you have a couple of dollars to spare because every dollar counts, please consider giving at patreon.com slash femfreak. Also, fun fact, in addition to the perks that you'll get as a Patreon subscriber, your donations and contributions on Patreon are also tax deductible because we're a 501c3. So if you want to learn more, if you want to give, please head over to patreon.com slash femfreak. And I do think it's interesting that in both of these films, it is more than easy to actually vote for the villain, right? Mm -hmm. And to think like, they got a point. There were several times where I was like, what? He's not wrong. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. I am Anita Sarkeesian. And I'm Kat Spada. This mini-season of the podcast started with a conversation about She-Hulk, and this week we're closing out the season with a return to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We traveled around the globe and under the sea as we watched Black Panther Wakanda Forever. The highly anticipated yet complicated sequel to Ryan Coogler's 2018 film Black Panther, Wakanda Forever follows the journey of a world without King T'Challa, just as in real life we lost Chadwick Boseman. His mother, Kareen Ramonda, and sister Shuri, played by Angela Bassett and Letitia Wright, respectively, must navigate leadership and grief while worldwide tensions continue to simmer about the precious resource vibranium. In Undersea Kingdom, Talokan, led by the sometimes villain Namor, also known as Kukulkan, is discovered to be the only civilization other than Wakanda to have flourished over the centuries thanks to its possession of vibranium. The character of Riri Williams is introduced, played by Dominique Thorne, and the cast boasts many returning fan favorites, including, but not limited to, Lupita Nyong'o as Nakia, Denai Gurira as General Okoye, and Winston Duke as M'Baku. We will be spoiling the movie and its mid credit stinger, so listeners, take note. Only the most broken people. leaders they have lost their protector now is our time to strike show them who we are Joining us in the iron in our hearts, the author, activist, DEI professional, (laughs) writer, nerd, and former college educator, and PhD owner, who has always been a beloved part of Feminist Frequency family. Everybody, welcome, Dr. Ebony Adams. Yay! Thank you. Welcome to me. Do you own a PhD until those student loans are paid off, or am I just renting that shit? Yeah, you're renting it. Oh, God. Every time I'm reminded that I went to graduate school, I want to throw up, <laughs> which is probably the way my professors think about it, too, when they think about my time bothering them. But wake hey up, everybody. In a cold sweat. Hi. What's up? Um, first of all, can I get a little love for the fact that I brought Catherine Spada, the Cat Spada, to the Feminist <laughs> Frequency audience? Like, I did that. I did that. Y'all have it, me to thank. Was- and yet I got no love on Twitter. <laughs> 
It was a solid replacement. Yo, like y'all leveled up like crazy. I was just listening to the intro and was like, oh, this is a podcast. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I I just need to replace me and then it'll be a real podcast, you know? <laughs> we'll be like, I'm loving this. This is great. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. To be fair, it's not a level up replacement. It's just a comparably intelligent one. Oh no, it's a for real level up. Like, and I'm uh, I, I'm not trying to blow sunshine, and I'm not being unnecessarily down on myself. I'm not good in the moment. You know, I need like 17 hours to think about something. You tell me something, I'll come back to you in 17 hours and be like. I agree. And this, right? (laughs) Catherine's good in the moment. Her brain works that way. That's what you need for a podcast, unless you want to record over the like six weeks. One of the episodes that we did, I watched Kat like live edit, like like she wrote this intro and then live edited it because she realized that she had said two of the same words, but just like seamlessly, seamlessly. thought of a synonym and like nobody would have ever noticed. Mm. And I would have been like, uh, duh, uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you Kat, see, you're the best. If basically. I weren't operating on multiple like different registers at any given time i would still be fixating on the conversation i had like four nights ago where i'm pretty sure i was embarrassing myself like that's that's it's a self-preservation let's go to the tape we (laughs) 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 okay ebony i'm so stoked you're here for this episode me too um uh, how where do we begin I already, I, listen, anita i was watching this last night and i was like i know exactly what anita's gonna say i know it like i can feel it in my spirit i know how she's gonna open it which is what you just did where ah. you're like uh, <laughs> i don't want to come out and say that i didn't really love it it was okay (laughs) parts of it were great the women looked amazing but do we really want to dot 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 (laughs) come on like that's where you were going right and i'm cool with it i want to hear it give it to me give it to me a hundred percent okay first of all Two hours and 40 minutes. Child. Go fuck okay. yourself, Ryan Coogler. <laughs> I love you. I love Ryan Coogler. He's a great fucking director. Unnecessarily long. Definitely. You know, and you can see the parts in this movie that you were like, oh, the studio made you put this in because it's going to be relevant to future movies, yeah. but it is ruining the flow of this movie completely. You know, I tell you what we can take out and it hurts me to say this because I love her so much. I don't give a shit about Julia Louis-Dreyfus and whatever character she's playing and whatever they're setting up. So cut that five minutes. That's that's right it did there. not. None of that needed to be in Nothing. there, but it's because she's playing some role in the larger universe. All the stuff with the colonizer guy, you know, like mm-hmm. none of that needed to be in. I no, forget his like name, but none of that in, needed to be in. Um, it was a Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I didn't give a shit about yeah. it then either. I just I don't need it. Also, well, like not when for nothing, she has... you don't need more white people in the Black Panther movies. I need fewer <laughs> white people in the Black Panther movies, especially if they're not going to be doing anything like, um, right. you know, give me a. Uh, Andy Circus's character that he played mm-hmm. in the previous movies where he was like stealing vibranium. I'm like, all right, the, right, you know, you've given me this like great little villain moment, but mm-hmm. totally, it just didn't push the sto- this story along. No, and your little yeah. like purple swatch in your hair is not enough. That's not a character trait. <laughs> it's not. And enough. it didn't even look good, whatever. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. So what Ebony said is true <laughs> completely. Do you, should I just go into my critiques of this movie? Yes. But before you do, can I just, I just want it out there. I saw this movie last night and the way I was ready to give up my citizenship in Wakanda for just like a summer internship in Talokan. (laughs) I was seriously like, I might need to be an exchange student because talk about some world building. Yeah, the movie is too long. It just, it is, you know? I mean, I understand why it was, you know, slower pace. You know, I understand why it was a... It was a more contemplative, less action-y second installment because it's kind of what needed to happen um, as we deal with our grief over Chadwick Boseman dying, T'Challa dying. But uh, for all my critiques of the film, Talokan and my boy, the winged serpent. Are you kidding me? Are so you, you kidding would, me? You would go get your third PhD in underwater basket weaving. Child, listen, are you kidding me? I, <laughs> I was dreaming while I was awake of my group marriage with... Tino Cuarta, Lupita Nyong'o, and me. You know? That right there? Yeah. That's a triangle for the yeah. ages. Yeah. I support you in this. Yeah. Okay. So, I, you Anita, know, like, hit me. I want to hear everything you think. Okay. And again, like, exactly what Ebony said. You know, it starts out, and there's all these, like, emotional moments, and everyone looks fucking amazing. Shuri's clothing, like, I, I wanted every outfit she was wearing. What, I was Ruth like, Carter? I love... Come on. Come yes. on, Ruth Carter. Ruth Carter, she, yes. she elevated, like, it was better even than the first movie, I mm-hmm. thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ebony and I uh, were very lucky on our book tour. There was a Ruth Carter exhibit at a museum in like, I don't know, Pittsburgh or something. Yeah. I don't know where we were, Pennsylvania somewhere. Uh, and we got to go see like her whole, like a, a, a museum curated show about her history doing uh, costuming and film. And it was, it was unbelievable. She's so talented. Um, okay. Like, yes, the movie, like if it starts out and you're like, oh, this is lovely. Everything looks cool. Like you're back in the space. It's, it's so lovely to be in a Marvel universe. That's not all white people, you know, like they're just full stop. I will always give props to this world because it just feels, you know, I'm just, I'm watching a bunch of white people do stupid shit. Um, I loved the first movie. I, even though there's flaws to it, like, I think I watched it like four times. It was like a plain movie, you know, like I just really liked it. This movie to me is the, is kind of the exact same thing as the first one, but like higher stakes. Mm -hmm. And, and I say that in the first movie was about, uh, the oppression of African-Americans, right. About like black folks in America and like resistance to that. And the way that they set up that movie, the first movie was there was a right way to deal with oppression and a wrong way to deal with oppression. And it's a very Western white supremacist capitalist idea of like the, the, the proper, uh, uh, the proper sort of modes of resistance, right? Working within the system or working without the system. So in the first one, everyone's favorite, Michael B. Jordan, who looks so fucking hot in that movie, uh, was like, we're going to take up arms and we're going to fight back. And the Wakandans are like, no, you can't do that. We have to do this like nonviolently and blah, 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 blah. And it's very reminiscent of like the extremely reductive uh, civil rights argument that we put that like, generally we put on like Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King, right? Which is not exactly how that worked out, but how we, how we've uh, sanitized that version of history. This movie to me does the exact same thing. It's saying that there is a proper way to fight oppression and a not, and a, 
and a bad way to fight mm. it. And I feel like, who the fuck are you to tell oppressed people or to represent oppressed people and tell them how they should be fighting back? So that, like, as I watched that kind of grow, that seed grow in this, I was really frustrated that it was a movie about, uh, like, indigenous brown folks who are powerful, right? All of these people are powerful, but that they're fighting each other for the crumbs a little bit, right? Like, And I know that it's hard. It is a little bit harder because these are both powerful people who hold enormous amount of power in society, but not really. And so you have um, Namor, who's like, what, 400 years old? And this beautiful underwater world where everyone is flourishing and whatever, and him being like, everyone has to die. Like all the surface world has to die. We have to take them all out and you're with us or you're against us. And if you're against us, we're going to attack you. And so the fact that like they would go and attack people who would actually be their allies uh, in this sort of false dichotomy of like what is an appropriate response to oppression was like absolutely fucking infuriating to me, you know, like watching these two groups of people like these two brown groups of brown people fight each other was like, what the fuck are you doing? I could not disagree more, but I love that reading. You know, I find that's, that's, that's really interesting. I think the first film, which is just on every level, it's a better film, right? You know, absolutely. It's, it's a better film. And one of the reasons why it is so startling is because it's our introduction to Wakanda, right? And so for so many people globally who have never even imagined a vibrant, rich, unapologetically Black space, it is presented to us live and in living color. And I would argue that the, the film is much more about that and asserting the I mean, for lack of a less corny phrase, like black is beautiful, right? You know, and the benefits of isolationism, not necessarily two different approaches to oppression. Absolutely. That's, you know, what what Killmonger is going for. And I do think it's interesting that in both of these films, it is more than easy to actually vote for the villain. Right. Mm -hmm. And to think like they got a point. You know, like there were several times watching this latest film where I was like, what? He's not wrong. You know, like if Wakanda and Talokan decided it's just going to be black and brown solidarity forever. Like I'm with the shits. So, you know, I know what's I, up, it's right? just like, where's the where's the South Asian community that has vibranium? <laughs> like that was that's I'm saying, the right? third movie. <laughs> and I do think this film is more ambivalent, uh, ultimately, about namor's position i think in the end i was less convinced that the film was solidly on the wakandan side i certainly saw their point i recognized the sacrifices that had been made and the reasons behind the choices that they had um uh, they had done the things they had done but it felt so equivocal to me i left thinking no the film ultimately says there is no safe place for blackness and brownness to be fully authentically themselves if there's any proximity to whiteness, which in this case is the surface world, right? And I was like, you're kind of right, mm. you know? So, yeah, well, so totally. I think where we are disagreeing is that I think the film does come down and say, 
you're doing it wrong. But I agree with you mm-hmm. and that reading of like, they can't be their authentic selves with the oppression of the of the surface world, right? Like they have to hide and they're done hiding. Uh, I think that the movie is saying that they're res- the way that they want to be done hiding is wrong. Mm-hmm. I have to say that I really but- am in the mood to rewatch Us with this mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of text in my <laughs> rear view. <laughs> I feel like, as always, I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, I really like sandwich, baby. <laughs> I really liked this movie as a movie goer, as a, like a movie experience. But there are some there are some obvious ways in which it's like, well, we can never discover Wakanda again for the first time, so that right. already puts us at a disadvantage. I think what how they handled grief and like the women that are dealing with this void in their hearts and in their lives i thought was done really well but letitia wright is not up to the task of carrying this movie in my opinion Mm -hmm. um especially if she happens to be a scene with any of the other women in the cast (laughs) who are all so compelling and Mm -hmm. and strong figures in a scene that it's like i'm sorry but if you're in the scene too i'm not looking at you um <laughs> poor letitia I'm i mean you know and, and her, her and evangeline I, you know, lily have enough to worry about listen i actually love letitia in this but i'll tell you what worked against some of the grief in this film for me angela bassett's accent got appreciably worse <laughs> Between film one and film two, it was on Forrest Whitaker level. Can we also talk about like I was like Angela? What are you talking about? No one says stop, stop the camera. Let's redo that back to one. Come on, (laughs) she's been working with Ryan Murphy for too long. Which one? (laughs) Can we talk about Angela's wig? Her like short natural white hair. Like it had a weird, like it was weird, a little weird. Are you talking about hair report, Anita? Yeah, I know. I want your opinion on this because I was like, I love this like full white, like natural hair thing, but it looked weird to me. It didn't look weird the, to like, me. Like the hairline you know, looked weird. Was it okay? I thought it was okay just because um, I liked the change between her long white locks and the the symbolism of having cut that away, right? Mm-hmm. I did like that. And so. To be honest with you, I didn't pay any attention to her hairline. And you know, y'all, that's not me. I always pay attention to the hairline. But when I'm looking at Miss Angela Bassett, those arms, when that grandma dove into the water to save Riri, (laughs) I was like, please come save my life. I will go drown myself. This woman's like 65 and just killing it. Just killing it. You know? She's amazing. I do. You know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, one thing I wanted to say, though, about the the conflict between these two civilizations that we are watching through this movie is like, this is a more complicated movie to deal with. Mm -hmm. Like I think in the first movie, you're kind of like, yeah, Killmonger's right. I don't know what to say, (laughs) but like, (laughs) love, love you, Wakanda. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, here, especially early in the movie to introduce the UN and fucking Mm. France, of all yeah. countries the nerve it, it, but it it made it made the position like the historical position of wakanda very difficult to grapple with when you're watching mm-hmm. the movie because i can't i couldn't help at the end of the movie 
when there's a reference to Toussaint Louverture, I couldn't help but think, Mm -hmm. where were you Mm -hmm. when X, Y, and Z was happening next door? Where were you when this was happening on the other side of the continent? Where where were you when Mm -hmm. this was happening in, you name it. Like, it really does become kind of difficult. Um, But also- that's got to be deliberate, right? I mean, it's France and the U.S. It's not the U.S. and China. It's not yeah. the U.S. and Russia. But that's there's got to be something deliberate there in Ryan Coogler's choice, specifically because of the history of French colonialism in Africa, mm-hmm. right? So I think he wants us to wrestle with that and be like, yeah, where were you? And I don't know if this is me watching too much Game of Thrones, but like when... Sh- i <laughs> tell you it is. <laughs> when Shuri gets like brought to Talokan, I kind of assumed the movie was going to go in a totally different direction. I was like, well, they should marry. It would be an alliance. You know, right? like I had this like very like moving the chess pieces now thought. Yes. And then I was like, well, I'm not getting any chemistry from her, but he shows up to talk to Angela Bassett. And I was like, all right, <laughs> so they should marry. <laughs> like, I'm just like, how are we going to make this a powerful union? And then uh, I, I also just wanted to say, like, as we've d- discussed, discussed i'm now like a marvel syncophant to some extent but um this movie did in like 10 minutes what the eternals couldn't which is give me centuries of relevance for Mm. talokan and and namor and his mother i was like his mother is like this amazing character and she doesn't she barely has any lines Mm -hmm. um so huge props to autumn Gerald arkapa who's the cinematographer I thought, like, this is the best I've ever seen this kind of underwater world mm-hmm. portrayed. And it was gorgeous. And having having the kind of, you know, Central American uh, culture, like, that was the other thing is this isn't a movie where the marketing could be like, and it's the first female Black Panther or like the first, you know, Mexican Peruvian, like, They couldn't say that because they didn't want you to really know what the story was. Um, But there was a lot of joy that I got watching the movie and even just knowing like Lupita, I believe, grew up in Mexico or at least was born there. And to have her like speaking Spanish, I was like, oh, my God, there's so much (laughs) loveliness in this movie. But then the next scene would be like a really hard right turn into like some caper in Boston or something. And I was like, oh, this is fun, too. But this is a completely different movie. So that was like my experience of of really liking it. But I thought, okay, this might have worked better as a a limited series or or a season of of Disney Plus where you could let this breathe a little bit or like mm. tier b because you know how like marvel's got the different tiers right and speaking of ant-man which i'm about to and the new ant-man that's going to be coming out um the the scenes in boston felt like that level you're like yeah oh this is the kind of like second tier marvel movie that i'm not going to go see on opening weekend i may actually wind up watching it on disney plus and not the theater i'll enjoy it but it's not crucial to my understanding all of that could have been cut we could have had a crisp two-hour movie, Ruth Carter owning it wherever on the screen, you know, art design, exquisite, geopolitical Ex- context, yeah. vague, but Ex- you know. <laughs> explicit <laughs> LGBT representation with I'm one chase forehead kiss. <laughs> Listen. One. Right, what the fuck? <laughs> Michaela like, okay. Cole, though, looked bomb. Everybody looked bomb. 
Come yeah, on. they all looked amazing. You know, Kat, your point about Shuri like not being able to really hold or Letitia not being able to hold the position. I didn't really think about that. Um, now that you say it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And and the and the thing that I'm going to is that when she she is with uh, Nakia in the lab and she's about to to go through the process of yeah. becoming Black Panther. And I was like, oh, it's going to be between them. Like, oh, maybe it's going to be Nakia. Ooh. Like, and it was so and, and I think this speaks to what you're saying, where I was like, of course, it's Shuri. But in that moment, I was like, oh, it's obviously should be Nakia. Right. You know, like, obviously, she's the choice here, right? And, like, it was weird how that was all set up. And and it also, that scene made me, at that point in the movie, I was, like, already over it. So I, like, wasn't really giving it a lot of grace. But um, it also, you know, again, fucking monarchies, right? You, I Like, I have to, I have to erase that part to accept these movies. And these are two civilizations that are run by, like, a... a one leader that just gets passed down or never dies or whatever, right? And so it's like, why does she get to be Black Panther? Right, there's still you know, like, like, divine like fucking right Killmonger of- was right. He should come in and take over. Like, why is it fucking passed well, down? Anita, when-, when I was watching the movie last night, I was like, I can guarantee you Anita's going to bring up the hereditary monarchy. She's so <laughs> be so <Yes>. bad. <laughs> it makes, it's so frustrating to me that, that like we're holding this up. We're holding Wakanda up as this beautiful future vision of like, of blackness and of like care and, and taking care of your people. And you're like, a monarchy never fucking does that. Like, there's no fantasy world that we're thinking. There's no activist that's like, oh, yeah, monarchy is our future vision for, like, equity and, like, liberation, you know? And, and but also, like, like, I'm sorry, but it's just boring. I am interested in General Okoye as Black Panther. I'm interested in Nakia. Hell, I would love M'Baku as Black Panther. Shuri is great, but she's the Q. She's the tech genius. Yes. I don't need well, a film built around and, her. And... The other thing about it is that, you know, she's going head to head with Namor, right? In this final battle. And um, she's a te- like, yes, I'm sure she's trained in combat, but she's not like doing it all the time. And it's amazing. Like, yes, they they did all of these things to be like they're sucking the water out of his fucking body mm-hmm. and like blah, blah, blah. And like and and making him uh, weaker. But like, I don't buy that she could kick his ass. Yeah. And you know, like, I mean, I, I have to accept that as a part of the way that it's going, but it just doesn't feel right that it's her. And she did, I think they did a really great, like, opening and closing with her in this movie. Mm. She was, and maybe that's just because of the, the how the script ended up. Like, I cried at the beginning and I cried at the ending. But the fact, like, that she could have, well, even just to go back half a step, I didn't know in the lead up to this movie how they were going to handle T'Challa's death. I was really concerned that it would be like, I was like, okay, so he's supposed to be one of the most powerful superheroes on the planet. Is there going to be some off-screen battle lost that will set up a villain? And that's going to feel so cheap and weird. Mm -hmm. And that he died of an illness, I thought was super powerful and affecting. I don't know if if Chadwick's wife was involved in that story decision in any way. I thought that was really... um, spectacular in setting up Shuri's guilt and her like not only survivor's guilt but guilt of the scientist if she's one of the best scientific minds on the planet she could not even save the most important person in her life and I thought that's that gives me a real investment in like how is she going to solve this for herself 
but her becoming the Black Panther wasn't it. It didn't, it didn't like answer that question for me. Um, and it, it could it have cleaned up too fast. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, they could have the, the fact that she's grappling with faith and she's grappling with like the ancestors and are they going to come to me or not? And what does it mean if the wrong one shows up? Although the, cries of pleasure in the theater would say Woo! we were all very happy <laughs> <laughs> very much so <laughs> but it was like by the end of the movie where i was like okay so i guess you're you're perfectly satisfied not to be the queen of wakanda i guess jabari is prime minister and he's like leading the court or whatever but yeah why can't you just be like the um i don't know uh sapiocracy or whatever <laughs> like you know you're the holder of technology and all the educational wisdom and that can be super important and but whatever now she's now she's a fighter i guess yeah um yeah i jabari winston duke he had like not much to do but he did it great but he, i'm telling you every I, second the with where him. he the scene where he's like at, at the funeral for his her mom, um, where he's just like, "What can I do for you?" I was like, "This is so sweet." Like, I really liked that. Like, I liked I, I, his character is so fucking good because you're like he he was set up as a bit of a villain in the like you know kind of uh, disruptive in the first one, and then like comes around and and watching him still be like sassy and funny and like kind of like fuck y'all, but also I'm here and I care. Like, I thought that that tension and dynamic was done so well um yeah i i yeah man i was so disappointed in this movie in a lot of ways like the um i thought the final battle on the ship was so badly done it was so boring mm. and so uninteresting to me um i thought that the combat between the like one-on-one -on -one combat was also like it's fine i guess i it's it's hard for me to like see anything clearly after like an hour because after an hour, I was like, oh, I know what's happening, and I'm kind of not into this anymore. And, like, it's hard for me to give it credit, even though I know that it's not, like, wholesale throwout. Um, I thought that Shuri... I want to appreciate the emotional struggles uh, that you were talking about, Kat, like, where... Um, um, the ma... Whoa, I can't remember the queen's name. Ramonda. Um, Ramonda. Ramonda. Where, where she fires... Um, oh, that scene. Okoye. And you and I'm like, oh my God, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then you're like, this is a good scene, right? Because you're like mm -hmm. so emotionally invested and you see her being like, I cannot give you any more because I am so depleted and destroyed. Like I thought that was that was like really good, even if it was hard. But Shuri's like, I have nothing anymore. And Killmonger came to me and was like, revenge, revenge, revenge. And then like, you know that she's not going to kill him and you know, there's going to be a turnabout and it just happens so fast. Like all, like the emotional, the emotional journey of Shuri to me felt, uh, con so contrived in a way that didn't feel sincere and genuine to me. Even though I like, if you described it, I'd be like, yes, this makes sense. But it, the way it played out on camera felt like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. like, it felt like it was written by a machine in some ways, right? It didn't have the like the heart of it for me. I wonder if it would have worked better if we had seen Shuri try to assume the mantle of the Black Panther earlier in the film, have Killmonger be the ancestor who comes to her, wrestle with that and how that makes her ineffective as Black Panther, 
um, or have it just not work, right? And then have to sort of do Black Panther the right way, you know, and have <laughs> I, I wonder if that would have worked. And I, you know, Catherine, I hadn't even thought about it, but yes, had this been an eight episode limited series, I would have been so into it. And we could have spent like whole episodes down in Talokan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I could have spent, we could have had the whole first episode about the devastation that T'Challa's death has wrought, not just in Wakanda, but what that means for the world, right? Yeah. And I hadn't even thought, because it's been so long and I'm an old woman, my memory's fucked, um, that T'Challa had been snapped, right? So he was gone for five years. And it wasn't until Nakia brought that up that she couldn't, she couldn't stay in Wakanda after he had been snapped, you know? And I thought, yeah, yeah. to have that, to have him brought back and then to have him die, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we just, we had alternately like too much going on and not enough going on. And it's just a feature film was not where it's at for this. Whereas the first film, yeah. two and a half hours, perfect. Loved it, you know? Yeah. I have to wonder whose disastrous marketing idea it was to play the Avatar Way of Water trailer before this movie. Child, listen. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I can think of nothing less interesting to me than the Avatar universe. Yeah. And the way that that trailer makes it seem like for less than the price of a cup of coffee a day, you too could save a <laughs> Navi child or whatever. <laughs> and then we get into this movie and I'm like, even these like weird looking uh, amphibious suits that Shuri designs for a Koye. I was like, this, this is ugly and I don't, really i'm not really feeling it but like it's a hundred thousand times better than whatever (laughs) avatar is going to do (laughs) i just yeah i saw those um the the navi in that trailer and it was the one with cornrows specifically where i almost (laughs) threw up my hands and walked out of the theater because i was like i can't take these noble savage metaphors anymore i just i can't do it contrast that with the creation of this incredibly like weird but almost real seeming community of people in the is it talokiani i think is that the correct way to refer to that group? I can't remember. Um, which, I mean, it's absurd. The idea that they found vibranium, they drank it, they turned blue, suddenly they couldn't breathe on land anymore, whatever. But Wait, they that's felt- why they turned blue? Oh, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah and they- all, but they weren't all blue, which was really weird. There was people in the... in in Telecon who were also not blue. And you're like, what the I fuck is... I think they were only was- blue when they were above the water. Because they oh, see the okay. same character looking right. two different ways. So, like, uh, Namor's two main generals. No, but right. they were still blue when they came up. He was the only one that, like, didn't wear the mask breathing thing. Right. And was like, yeah. I felt like everyone else other than him was blue above water, but but not blue below water. Okay, you know what? Right. I'm going to talk to the theater I went to because I don't think the color grading was right. I didn't pick up on, <laughs> I didn't up on that. Whatever. Namor, so great as a character. So great. I mean, he's... Anita, 
do not disagree <laughs> with me on this. Let me have this. He was he was great. I know. I thought he was great. I mean, I I I'm I'm frustrated by the politics of this movie, but I thought he was great and like very interesting. I his his like I I spent four hundred years or however fucking long it was wanting to murder everybody, and then all of a sudden being like, I guess I don't want to do that anymore. And then you know at least they like recovered that by being like, we're gonna wait. Because when you're as old as me, you have patience. And mm. I was like, okay, thank you. Like, thank you for at least giving us that little bit here to be like, you did not give up your principles because your fucking wing bone was ripped out of your foot, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, especially, like, that's something, I think we've talked about it with, like, vampire characters. Like, when you are writing a character that is centuries old, it's tough to keep them, mm. like, along for the pacing of a regular movie so that at the end or like the the two-thirds mark or whatever it was like all right you have one week or else we're gonna water bomb the whole city again and it was like what's one week to this god you know <laughs> like yeah I, I could understand his general the the woman at the end who was like i've wanted my whole life to fight by your side but if i understand it correctly like he's the only sort of long li- long life person in this entire like race of people or whatever species he would have had so many generals over the centuries like this is just one more but you know but isn't that the urgency is the the vibranium sensing machine right so he's had right. this like simmering hatred for colonizers justifiably so mm-hmm. for 400 years but you know i can live with that i'm down here swimming with the fishes you know finding nemo life is good <laughs> but then now you're going to come to my backyard with your oil rigs and be pounding the drum for vibranium. Nah, that's that's not what we're going to be doing around here. Lake Bell I, does not get to show up for one scene to have our vibranium. Let's talk about Riri. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So she. So little and cute. <laughs> so little. And I, I love like I she was great. I fucking love that. I love the twist of like the person who developed this did it in class because she's so fucking smart. And then they like exploited that and stole it. And like, you know, like that's a great storyline. I like that she is, she was like an audience stand in a little bit, but not really because we already understand Wakandan. Uh, we understand Vibranium at this point. Uh, you know, it, she is a character named Ironheart, I believe, that is going to be like the new Iron Man kind of energy. Mm-hmm. Again, if this was a limited series, there would have been more time to like play pu- play out the character and all of that kind of stuff. So like she comes to Wakanda and suddenly she's like a killing machine. You know, she's just a fucking student making dope shit in her like garage. And now she has this like super Iron Man suit and she's like, pew, 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 I'm going to murder people. And you're like, wouldn't that Isn't that what a you problem do for you? With your super suit? Pew, pew, pew. What? I said, isn't that what you pew, would pew, do pew. super suit? Yeah, you pew, yeah. pew, pew. Also, I was like, I didn't know until after the movie when someone who knows about comics told me that she's Iron, uh, Ironheart, where I was like, you're in Wakanda. Why would you have this bulky ass, stupid fucking suit? Like, they would have these dope, like, skin tight, beautiful whatevers that right, are like going to be vibranium resistant. Yeah, like all of that. I was like, what is that? Was this? It's just showing like cool tech shit. I don't know. No, it, no, no, no. I know that. Interesting. Yeah, like that she's. And I, I haven't read the comics, but that she is supposed to be the successor to Iron Man. They, she's she's the version of Tony Stark when he was at MIT and was a genius. But um, the difference is that 
Tony Stark was Howard Stark's son and had access to all the resources in the country. And she's this like scrappy kid who's uh, getting paid to do other kids' projects in school. Like, I I think she's going to have her own series on Disney Plus. So I'm just hopeful we'll get to let that make sense because it just doesn't it didn't make sense in the movie but i'm like okay well now we know who you are and you can tell us how you got there but it does feel like one of those like we have to put in all of the shit in this fucking movie because of the mcu blah Mm -hmm. blah blah where really this movie could have been so much tighter yeah you know like it really could have been like moving better or whatever yeah I don't know. It was long, man. This movie was fucking long. It was. It wasn't as spectacular. I was just whatever. And yet, I still, I still loved it. Like I just getting to see Wakanda again and having it feel lived in, you know. Because yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't seeing it for the first time, but now I've, I've been there a while, and it feels more natural. I'm wearing it like a like a cloak. It just felt so natural and right. Um, so, I mean, I'll be seeing it again, you know, like, yeah, I'm not going to not watch it 10 times. It's not like I get a lot of movies like that, you know, to see like kick-ass black women, you know? So yeah, of course, but yeah, movie qua movie, I give it like, I don't know, a 67 on the, my brother's hundred point scale, maybe a 71, <laughs> a 67 to a 72. So great. Why don't we wrap up by just talking about that mid credits stinger? Um, okay, so I ran out because I had to pee so fucking me bad too. because this movie is so goddamn long. But I caught the end of it standing at the back of the theater when I came out of the bathroom. Uh, I think I know what happened. <laughs> I think I'm I don't. clear on this. Tell me about it. Well, so you saw Shuri um, completing the sort of grief ritual of burning her mourning uh uh, clothing and I think at the very end uh Nakia's like oh I'll be right there and she's like no I'm gonna do this by myself so she's sets the fire and then you have this like beautiful end credits as soon as the end credits are over there's it cuts back to Shuri sitting on the beach kind of wiping her tear and you see the like shadow in the background of Nakia and the young boy. And so like immediately I was like, <laughs> I just like immediately lost it. I was like, Chella has a child. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's just like from the like instant that it went from the credits back to the stinger. Um, and what it did was so, so clever in so many different ways because it answered production questions. (laughs) Like um, when Avengers Endgame came out and all of the the blip ended and and all of the people were able to like come through the magic circles (laughs) and fight Thanos and his (laughs) army, uh, Nakia wasn't there. And Mm. I remember at the time people being like, why didn't we get to see one of the cool characters that we loved from Black Panther? Why wasn't she there with her little like circle weapons things? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it was just a production issue. But here in this one scene, she just was able to say, T'Challa and I did not want to raise our child in the shadow of his birthright or whatever. Mm -hmm. We chose to raise him here. And... It wasn't like I got pregnant and ran off. It was like we made a concerted decision about how we were going to raise our child. 
he knew his grandmother mm-hmm. and he was fully involved in like understanding his father's illness mourn like his being prepared for his death mourning him and that's why i haven't been out fighting the good fight i've been fighting this fight i thought it was just like such a quick but gave so much like depth to the Nakia storyline that had sort of gone off and not been around. So, plus the kid was so cute. I wonder if that's why she was so quick getting the job done when Queen Ramonda was like, hey, I need you to go get Shuri. Nakia did that in like 37 minutes. <laughs> yeah, babysitter you know? was coming up. Yeah, exactly. She was like, <laughs> I ain't got time to waste. Single mom. Like, <laughs> got stuff to do. Yeah. Just overall, I thought it was really beautiful that she you know, that their choice for home away from home was Haiti and Mm -hmm. that she had developed this this really beautiful life there as an educator. Like, there was a lot, again, just of, like, you've given me Talokan in a few minutes and I already have emotions about it. Like, I want to know more about this school that she runs. You know, I want to know more about this boy. I mean, as soon as she came on, as soon as we went to Haiti and saw her, you're just like, I want this. I want Mm -hmm. more of this. I want more of her. I want this world. I want to know what's happening here. It was just so fucking magnetic. She's so, she, I mean, she's amazing. So good. And then the Game of Thrones came back and I was like, oh no, Shuri (laughs) is going to have to fight for the throne (laughs) against her secret nephew (laughs) this is why she must marry namor i gotta stop you do yeah yeah you do all right we'll be right back with some freakouts if you are enjoying our show please consider supporting it on patreon your monthly or annual tax deductible gift helps us keep the show running and on the air by becoming a patron, you're supporting independent feminist media and a nonprofit that's working to end abuse in the games industry. Plus, patrons get a special bonus alongside each episode of the podcast. Of course, we know that not everyone has the means to financially support the show. So, just taking a moment to give us a star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show can help new listeners find us. We appreciate your support in whatever way you can provide it. Now, back to the show. Now it's time to talk about what's been thrilling us, moving us, upsetting us, or infuriating us. Ebony, lay it on us. What's your freak out? <laughs> okay. What's your subpar boring freak yeah, out? <laughs> audience, I told Anita during the, <laughs> the, the break, this sucks. Um, I recently watched a series on Amazon Prime called The Devil's Hour. It is this creepy, atmospheric mystery show um it stars oh god now i just blanked on her name but the reason why i watched it is because it uh also stars peter capaldi and it involves a woman and a single mother who is sort of gradually becoming unmoored from reality um time seems to be working weirdly space seems to be working weirdly and she's not sure if what's happening is in her own mind or if these things are actually happening. And she is simultaneously dealing with a very difficult relationship with her much-loved son. Um, I'm not going to spoil what happens because that's not why I'm freaking out about it. My freak out is really more of a question. I just want to know how other people who've seen this show received one particular element. So 
um, the main character has a son who I think he's like, I don't know, between eight and 10 years old. And he has almost no affect. So he does not Mm. respond to her um, emotional entreaties. He's very, you know, stoic um, and does not smile unless he is specifically requested to, um, you know, doesn't cry, can be told to do something that is, you know, ludicrous, but he, you know, does it without, without thinking. He is, you know, bully- all of the signs are there um, that we are supposed to read this person as neurodivergent, right? Somewhere on the autism spectrum. And the question within the show, like they make it explicit, is, is he actually neurodivergent or is there something going on with him, right? Towards the end of the show, we discovered that there actually is something else at play. And it didn't sit right with me the way that his character gets resolved and and what happens to him, because it seemed to me that the the writers were saying, um, like, on the one hand, look at this lovely, fully human, amazing child, and look at this great relationship he has with his mother, the only person who truly understands him and sees him, Um, even though... You know, she's she's going to therapy with him to say, is there something I'm not doing that I could be doing? Um, he hasn't been diagnosed as being neurodivergent. So if that's not what's going on, is there something I need to be addressing, et cetera, right? But she fights for him so fiercely. And I loved that. But then at the end, I felt like the show kind of takes it away in their explanation of what's mm. going on with him. And the way that they do that didn't sit right with me. It's impossible for me to explain what I mean without spoiling it, which I don't want to do because it'll kind of wreck your viewing of the series. But I would love to talk about it with people because I think, um, you know, in the way that we talk about people being like queer coded, we, mm. we have this like neurodivergence coding with characters. We see it especially in the crime dramas of which I'm a huge fan. So you have like um, uh, a socially awkward genius detective, right? And the ways that they navigate through the world we're supposed to think oh it's kind of like he or she is autistic you know um and so much of those portrayals can do so much damage not least because it's rarely um a neurodivergent actor in those roles there's just so much misunderstanding around neurodivergence that i don't know i was i was left ultimately unsatisfied with the way they explained what was actually going on with the kid and then what happens to him so could someone please watch this show? It's like six episodes. It is, I think, very interesting. Peter Capaldi's amazing. Jessica Raines, I think, is the uh, lead actor. Um, she's absolutely fantastic in it. You will enjoy it. And then uh, hit me up on Twitter. And if Twitter's no longer around, email me. No, don't email me. I don't need no more emails. <laughs> you can't find me on Instagram neither. I don't know. Hit up Anita somewhere, and then Anita will call me and tell me what you said. Sure, play a that game sounds uh, totally totally like something that would happen. Yeah, yeah, that'll You might you might people tracks. might like, you know, get in touch with you and then you'll WhatsApp me and be like these idiots won't leave me alone cuz they, you know, want to argue with you. Why did you do this to me? Anyways, that's my freak out. Yeah. Cat, what are you freaking out about? 
Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, Ebony, I don't know if you've been watching Abbott Elementary, but that has I've seen that happening on Twitter as well with the character mm-hmm. played by Tyler James Williams. People have like mm-hmm. fan theories about whether right. he's on the autism spectrum, and that's kind of interesting because it's mm-hmm. it's more coming, I think, from a place of like I would be excited. I have been excited to see recognizable things represented right. in the show in this way. Um, my freak out was going to be the movie She Said, which I, which mm. I watched uh, last night. It's about the New York Times uh, journalists who were investigating Harvey Weinstein in 2016 and 2017. Um, it's good, you know, like any – I do enjoy, like, the, uh, the, the journalism adventure movie, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um, but it's obviously such a huge story, and it doesn't – you know, it can only tell a small piece of it. Um, so I guess I'm going to land on my, I'm like, I'm nervous because I don't think I should do this, but my freak out being just Winston Duke in general. Um, (laughs) I'm excited that he supposedly, although I haven't seen a lot since the announcement, um, cast as Marcus Garvey in an upcoming series, which is pretty cool because he is a Caribbean actor. Also, I, I had heard a lot of people concerned that when the Marcus Garvey biopic eventually happened, that that wouldn't be the case. Um, And here's where I'm going to get in trouble uh, is I'm going to read this boss of headline (laughs) out loud. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) my black ass is preparing for what is sure to be an absolutely banana soup headline (laughs) that Catherine got from somebody on black Twitter. (laughs) This headline is, well, it's a tweet uh, slash headline from 2019. It's my favorite boss of headline. I've revisited it numerous times. <laughs> um, Fix is us. Winston Duke's thickalicious thigh meats deserve best supporting actor for looking like they will <clears throat> break you into vibranium dust and are pulverizing panty draws across the internet. Oh, Catherine. <laughs> oh my god! I think about the I think about the conflation break you. Mm-hmm. I don't oh, know, I do twice too. a month. What, one word. One break word. you. Yeah, yeah. M apostrophe break you. If y'all don't know, gossip headlines are an <laughs> art form. Like they are in a category of their own, and. Whenever one comes across my timeline, I'm like, who is responsible? Why is this not in the Library of Congress? Because them shits are hilarious. I'm not a strunk and white fan. I am not an AP (laughs) fan. I Mm -hmm. do not care about MLA. I think Bossip is the style guide. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Yes. Let's vote on that. Okay. LA. Anita, save me from my freak out and your own. Uh, I have nothing nearly as entertaining as that. Um, But I watched a show called Over the Garden Wall, which I guess came out in 2014. I never heard of it. Didn't know anything about it. I'm not a big animated show person. Like, I will absolutely watch stuff if someone sits me down and says, watch this thing. But I, I don't often seek them out. This show is 10 episodes. They're like 15 minutes each. And it is the cutest thing I've ever seen. It is so cute. It is the cutest of cutes. Like you kind of are angry at how cute it is. You know, it's one of those. Um, 
I honestly don't know anything about it. It was created by Patrick McHale for Cartoon Network. It's on HBO Max. Uh, it's about two brothers, Wirt and Greg, who get lost in the unknown. Um, it has a beautiful ending um, that you're like, what? Cool. That, why? Great. Amazing. Um, Melanie L- L- Linsky, Lin- Linsky um, plays a talking bird. She's fucking amazing. Love her. And it's just really, really charming. So if you want something like kind of easy and sweet to watch, I highly recommend Over the Garden Wall. Yay. I love it. Which apparently everybody has seen except for me. So the last one. Yeah, I'm the last one. So I've caught up, everybody. Thank you. And fuck all of you for not telling me about this (laughs) show. It's so cute and charming and it doesn't do... It doesn't, like, weird me out. Sometimes, like, there are animated series where I'm like, uh, I-, I feel like you're trying to wink to adults and it's mm. not quite landing, like, the tone isn't right. This one, yeah. it it has a, a perfect little emotional, like, resonance. Yeah, love it. And yeah. it's also, like, the, the moments of darkness are, like, that great kid level of darkness where you can imagine watching it and just having, like, kind of a shiver, you know, um, <laughs> watching the scary pumpkin-headed people. But it's not... It's not terrifying. It's not gross or anything. It's just, I would have loved this. If, I mean, I love it now, but I would have really loved this when I was a kid. Yeah. Mm. Well, we did it. That's our show. That's our that's our little mini season. Uh, and it was just an absolute joy to have Ebony back in action. Show us. What's your Mastodon or whatever? How can we, if you, do you want people to check you out on the internet? Listen, try, listen, get with me on Twitter before it all goes away. I have not figured out Mastodon yet because I haven't um, taken the time to bother Anita. Anita explains most platforms to me um, when I need intel. So hit me up on Twitter. If Twitter is gone, you're just not going to be able to find me anywhere. That's just <laughs> the life you live. Just hey, just hit me up and I'll give you her address, you know? Yes, please, Anita. And I yeah. love drop-ins. <laughs> love it so yeah. much. It's her favorite thing ever. Twitter at... You know, Ebony, Ebony doesn't Aster. leave her house, so we yes. have to come to her house. Yeah, you do. Um, yeah, I'm at Ebony Aster on Twitter. Dope. I'm Anita Sarkeesian. And I'm at Anita Sarkeesian on Twitter and Instagram for as long as those things exist. I'm Kat Spada. I'm at Kat underscore EX underscore Machina on Twitter. I am on TikTok. I don't know what my TikTok name is. It's probably like user 1144. <laughs> like, I really am I had to sure. create... I had to create a new account on some shit and I was like, fucking usernames. I don't know. I literally wrote like unknown user 27. <laughs> like I was like, I don't fucking need it. What, what the fuck are usernames? Fuck off. As we all turn into bots, you can at least follow Feminist Frequency at FemFreak. But if you're a Patreon <laughs> supporter, why don't you stick around? Ebony's going to be with us for a bonus episode. I didn't agree to that. I'm, I'm switching uh, the script up. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's all right. We, we were done. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. See you next year. Mwah. <laughs>